Hey there, welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we can live lives that help us love the hell out of this world. And yes, it sometimes feels like a little bit too much hell and not enough love, but we'll get there. Finding that little bit of courage to do the small things every day that really do add up to transformative change. My name is Reverend Sean and I'm one of your hosts. And today on the podcast, we are in our series, Sit With Me, which is all about the nature of belonging. And we have a wonderful conversation in store for you today. I love that in this work, we get to have conversations with pillars of our community, people who are really making a difference and people who come from different walks of life than us. And today our guest is going to be Dr. Janina Farinas, who is a really pillar of resilience, resistance and inspiration in Larimer County and across Colorado. Dr. Janina is a proud multilingual immigrant from El Salvador and has spent the last 15 years serving the Latinx community. She founded La Cocina, one of our community partners, an organization that is committed to fostering social emotional health and advocating culturally affirming care both within their community and beyond. Her work is really focused on co-designing sustainable, transformative social emotional health strategies for the Latinx communities, and she has been a real pillar of not only vaccine equity, but figuring out how we support migrants and the people that have been here longer than a lot of us recent immigrants to Northern Colorado. She has this rooted belief in liberation psychology, the reality that we can't take care of mental health if we don't take care of the structures that get internalized in our minds. And that is what she's going to be talking to today. Today, Dr. Freñas is going to be in conversation with Reverend Gretchen Haley, one of the ministers in our community. And they're going to be talking about how when we think about the question of the mental health crisis of our time, it's actually best thought of through the lens of belonging and how creating a culture of belonging not only takes intentional work and practice, but it is truly, truly life-saving. So I'm going to turn it over to this conversation. I know they could have gone on for hours, but today we're just going to sit back and really appreciate the conversation between the two of them. As soon as we started to talk about this series, I thought that we should invite Janina. Janina and I were recently together at a uh, Larimer County strategic plan uh, conversation where they were put up. It's one of those meetings where they were talking about like different priorities that you might, we might all choose as the priorities for our next strategic health plan in Larimer. And they had you put stickers up for which one was your, there's like 50 of us in the room, different providers of all sorts. And literally, so one of them that was up there was mental health. And the whole room went over and put their stickers on mental health. And Janina went away from mental health and put her sticker on one that said belonging. And I thought that was fascinating because Janina spends her life dedicated to mental health. It's her, both her passion and her profession. And so I thought we'd start with, why did you not put your sticker on mental health? Right. So first of all, thank you for having me, everybody. Really good to be here again. Thank you, Gretchen. So I think one of the most important things that we can do right now in terms of our healing is to think together about the ways that we can have a lot of different paths to healing. And mental health is one that usually involves really treatment of some sort. 
right? So when people think about mental health, what they think about is treatment. Very often what they think about is fixing other people. And very, very often what that creates is a culture of non-belonging. Because when we don't invite people to be just like us in spaces of healing and we don't do that together, then that leaves it up to some people to heal and others who don't have to. So for me, even though, yes, I spend my life in the mental health care space, the reality is that the narratives around mental health are highly divisive. And they create a lot, a lot of othering, a lot of othering for lots of different reasons. And so while I would agree with most people that there's a small percentage of our work that really needs to go to better treatment, we do need that. We need to spend most of our time, I think, being in community and building community of belonging so that we don't need so much treatment. I imagine this probably has something to do with your training, mm -hmm. which is, as I understand it, in liberation psychology, the field of liberation psychology. And the way I understand liberation psychology is, see, there's a field called liberation theology. So I kind of just draw the conclusion of mm -hmm. it's similar in that rather than thinking that there's something necessarily wrong with the individual, you look at what's happening in society and you say, okay, actually, it's the society is the problem and the individual is actually adapting in a really healthy way to ills in the society. Right. Am I, am I right? Yeah. I think that's a very big part of liberation psychology. And yes, this is uh, primarily part of my training. So, you know, I lead an organization that focuses on mental health care for people who are living very, very oppressive circumstances in their lives and are actively being persecuted in some sense, right? And so a liberation lens allows everyone who comes to work at our agency to really think outside of that space and think in a space where accompanying other human beings through that and focusing on all the ways that they're having actually a very normal response to a very abnormal situation, right? It shifts the dynamic. It shifts the dynamic of power in very significant ways. So yes, liberation psychology, I think in part, recognizes the sociopolitical structures that may end up causing a lot of suffering, that do cause a lot of suffering in the world. On the other hand, the other piece that liberation psychology, I think, really offers us is that community is the work of healing, and healing is the work of community, which is something I know that this church really subscribes to, service. Service and a way of thinking about overall liberation as being highly dependent on each other. If we really understand that, like if we really take that to heart and we commit to a view that the work of liberation, which intrinsically generates literally mental health, mental well-being, right? If we really commit to that view, then that dependency creates a community of practice that is health-promoting in a very profound way. And that has everything to do with belonging. I think I hear you saying in that you're drawing a line from what a just community would be directly to a community of true belonging. 
Absolutely. Can you say just a little more about that? Like when you are after what we talk about here often as social justice, how does that connect in your mind to when you hear the word belong? So there are two pieces in my view. So first of all, I think it's important to understand that it, from a psychological perspective, belonging is actually a very subjective experience. It's not usually an experience in psychology that we relate to all of us together. On the other hand, I think the other thing that we understand about belonging is that people who have a sense of community feel a greater sense of belonging. And so it's very cyclical and it's very, it's very interdependent, right? That if I have a community where I belong, I am going to feel more connected. I am going to feel healthier. I am going to feel less isolated, right? These pieces are fundamentally true about belonging. What I think often gets lost in the social justice dialogue in terms of belonging is the piece that differentiates like my role as a person who has agency in this world in creating welcoming environments and then the healing, the personal healing that goes along with creative belonging. These are two different things, in fact. And we know that folks that go through that personal healing journey of getting to a place in their lives where, believe it or not, and this is really true through practice, they begin to enjoy a sense of confidence that no matter what happens in their lives, there will be a place for them. That's a very big aspiration, but it's a very real one and one that I think we should all aspire to. We should all aspire to that. And so that type of personal healing is profoundly connected to my ability to be able to create welcoming spaces and welcoming ways of being in the world. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about, let's make it more specific, because we live here in northern Colorado, where I have sometimes said it's a requirement when you move here to testify to how much you love it here. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yes. And yes. one of the reasons is because we often identify as a really welcoming community. Mm-hmm. She just made a noise in case you didn't miss that. Can you talk about how what you're describing around what it means to create a culture of belonging connects for us here and why on that Larimer County meeting, you thought the thing we need to work on is belonging? Yeah, I think it's profoundly connected to authenticity. And a culture of belonging actually allows a great number of different people to bring forth a great number of different experiences. And welcoming experience is something that our community does not do very well. We tend to actually, if you pay attention and you look at either the narratives in the media that we're consuming, or you look at how, for example, the overwhelming number of nonprofits that we have in this community approach and the idea of help, what you will actually really find yourself in is a space where charity is deeply valued. 
Now, you might say to me, well, what's wrong with it, right? Well, I want to tell you that charity does not create a culture of belonging. Uh, it actually, the other it does the other, exactly. It does literally the opposite. And so that is very challenging for folks because we want to be helpful. That's great that we want to be helpful. And it doesn't always lead us to this other individual piece of creating a culture of belonging inside of me. Right? Something that I am transformed through and I heal through because I fundamentally have had challenges maybe in my life, right? So I think there's an interplay between that kind of viewing the world through a charity lens and a welcoming community where belonging is fostered all the time. And so the reason I chose that sticker, mm-hmm. the reason I put my sticker on the belonging is because I think that it will take quite a bit of dismantling and it will take quite a bit of kind of truly looking at ourselves and being very honest with ourselves about what are we creating when what we actually invite people to is a culture of helping you, right, or helping other. That is very different than creating a culture of belonging. Some of the most important spaces of belonging that, I've, that I have been in that have really, I think, bolstered my confidence in this have been the most oppressive spaces that, I, that you can think of. So in the Western Sahara refugee camps, for example, where I lived for a little bit over a year and was doing work, the transformative nature of being in deep and authentic connection with other human beings in a space where you literally have no way out of the suffering. There's really no way out. It really forced me to understand this and to understand social justice from a perspective of not so much doing, being. I just want to take a second think about that in that, you know, just to take in what we often think of as welcoming, that we're being helpful, which it might be helpful. It might be. But in a longer term sense, actually can be perpetuating a sense of non Yeah. Yeah, because then everything gets treated as a crisis. So, yeah, I think that it is fine in a crisis. We do that really well, by the way. And it's, it's very, when there's a crisis, we have to act very quickly. When I have a broken leg, I don't want to reflect on it. I need to go to the surgery, <laughs> right? Gotta go. So we do that very well. I think the other is a little bit harder, right? The, the piece about how do we reflect on motivation? How do we reflect on what sense of connection am I going to build by the, by the moment and the narrative that I'm centering when my idea of help, right, involves me helping you, right? And mental health care is perfectly founded on that. It's on that. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like there's a very big difference between what I would say Mental health care has a role in crisis that is really important. And mental health care does not do a good job 
of creating spaces. Mm. And and then it perpetuates itself. As it does. We don't mm-hmm. have true belonging. So mm-hmm. then we have more crises around mental illness. Right. Okay. So connected. Mm-hmm. I know you came to the United States as a teenager. I did. You were se- 17. And your family were settled in New Orleans. We did. And then today here in Colorado, you are you work often with immigrants, especially newly arriving. And so I wonder from those personal and professional experiences, what you know about belonging, particularly whether belonging is culturally specific. And what does it mean to create belonging across culture? And, you know, we, we aspire, we do work with a lot of immigrants. We love to know how to get to the true belonging and not the helpful unhelpfulness. <laughs> Actually, yes. I, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. Uh, my family came here when I was 17. I came to this country with my family and like most other immigrants who come here my parents at the time were really seeking out a a safer and uh, a better life than what we were living through at the time and it was a time of a great deal of rejection of difference in the united states it was also a time when immigration was really not a narrative at all it was pretty absent from the narrative. And so in some ways, the invisibility, to be quite frank, was better than what we see today. The invisibility was, in many ways, a space of constant microaggressions, but also a space where nobody really cared that much. But I was part of a group of people about a a year and a half after my family came here, a little, almost two years, I was part of a people who, very literally, my family, 11 of us, went into what today is ICE, into then immigration services. We went into that office as undocumented Americans, and we came out with a green card because we received amnesty. And this completely changed the course of my life. I mean, I am sitting here today with you because of that simple moment. And so what I is important to understand about the work that I do is that in many ways, every single day, I try to create what I wish my family had had. And creating that every day means that I stumble on myself also every day, because I stumble on all the ways that I can relive and recreate my own trauma. It's the way that my mind kind of gets stuck with ways of feeling. Because remember, your brain is always, always going to be comparing whatever moment you're in to the most difficult moment. And so what I like to tell my students is that in some ways you have to trick yourself into taking a higher view than your brain. You have to trick your brain into doing that initially so that you can see that the ways that you're being in the world don't create belonging for you or for anybody else. 
So la cocina is that space for me. And I, I will never be separate from my work. I have tried to do that. It is never going to happen. And so I need to be able to embrace that part of myself that really is in my own reflective capacity and in my practice, in my contemplative practice. Every day I'm living to create that because I, I really needed that so in tell, my life. Tell me what that is so okay. a space like of blend yeah okay but what are the signals mm. and experiences and types of things like it yeah experiences that create real belonging from what you know well so i think it's different to create a space that is welcoming than the conditions, the causes and conditions that need to feel a sense of belonging. So for me, for me, and this has changed over time, I need to be in a team where reflection is literally part of our jobs. I need that. I think most people who work in our field really need that too, but that doesn't mean they give it to themselves. And building a culture of reflect, reflection inside of a workplace is very hard. It's very hard. But without that, every moment of every day, we stand at very high risk of harming because we're not committed to our own transformative ways of being in the world. Oh. Okay, I'm going to just say back to you what I think I just heard, okay. which is by reflection, you mean you have experience and then come into a small group or community to reflect about what that experience was and what happened in you am i right and our impact this is very and important kind of what your impact was in doing and what you're saying is that something about that process having time to both have the experience and then come into a group where you get to talk about that and reflect on it creates an experience of belonging for all of us by which without it you would not feel the same what is that about oh. Janina? it's like about what's going on there psychologically mm -hmm. in yeah. our brains that that is working like that well first of all we're wired for relationship and it's very difficult to be an authentic relationship without that it's very hard to imagine that you're going to create authentic relationships at work and that those people are going to really cultivate the necessary health to be in those authentic relationships without connection and deep connection requires reflection. Mm. So in those spaces, we connect, we build our relationship, it grows safety in the team. It actually also transforms us from imagining that at work, we don't belong mm. and leaves us no way out, actually. That's good. That's a good thing. So, yeah, I think that for us and for me, one of the most important things I've learned about belonging is to be able to hold the tension that belonging requires and the conflict that comes up in belonging spaces, which is needed. There's nothing wrong with belonging what you experience as part of that is conflict. That's actually a good thing. 
that when you're going through that, you need to also know that you're in relationship with the people who are around you or going through with you. That kind of safety is not something that you can generate by just telling people, oh, you belong here. Like, really takes quite a lot of work, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to learn how that you can trust that when the difficult stuff comes up, you'll stay in it. Right. And that's right. Run the other direction. Yeah. You know, people often talk about in, in the works, in the spaces where I live, People speak a lot about, for example, listening to immigrant stories. Well, I want to tell you what one of the most valuable things is in our community is when actually the listening happens both ways. Because actually, all of us could benefit from listening to each other's stories. And so the idea that somehow affinity spaces or inclusive spaces should just be about them is just another form of othering and does not actually create both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So listening, right, is such a deep part of that connection. Okay, I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm getting close to my time. So I have like a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll wrap. Yeah. Saying, all right, I am two, but the first one's a multiple parter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. I don't know if I was really clear earlier, but Janina's specialty is with children of all ages and particularly very little Mm -hmm. children and parents. And so I want to talk a little bit about children Mm -hmm. and youth in that um, many of us have been noticing and talking about the statistics coming out from Poudre School District and other studies coming out right now around the prevalence depression, anxiety, and self-harm in our children and youth. So I wonder if you can talk about, kind of take all of this and apply it to, we hear this and we're like, we don't want our kids to be depressed, anxious, and self-harming. And the the way we want to solve that is getting more mental health therapists. <laughs> right. I mean, just who don't like, exist, by the way. Right. <laughs> so that's another service. We'll do yes. another service on that. But so just tell me about what you think we can do together yeah. to help create a better culture of belonging so that we can not see the statistics that are so devastating and heartbreaking in our children. And that we're, statistics are one thing, but we see it in our lives with our kids. Yeah. So the really, I think the neurodiversity research that has pointed us down the road of understanding experiences of awe when we're together is really critical in this question. And yes, that could be a like a day-long talk. But what I want to say about this is, you know, we started down this road because we were very concerned about the impacts of social media and technology in general on our children's brain. And even though that is absolutely what I want to share with you is what's really generative about that research which has kind of brought us into a space where we have to wonder together about what experiences support children learning about empathy, compassion, altruism, and awe. Four things. These are the four elements, the absolutely fundamental building blocks of a culture of belonging for children. And children having those experiences together 
as they have them and learning actually how to cultivate empathy, compassion, altruism, and awe in their lives. This is actually the medicine that we all need, it turns out. Mm. But if we start really early, right, the potential is... Mm -hmm. So that's what we need to do is start really early. Start really early. I love that. Right. Your youngest kids you work with are infants, right? You know, we really... It's easy to get awe. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And, And awe is this critical part of play, right? You see it all the time with kids. It's natural for them to feel awe, to feel wonderment, and to be in spaces where if they can connect those experiences to other kids, they naturally are empathic. Mm. You start to see them be like, here's the flower, look at. And everyone's like, in awe, right? That's what we need, actually. This is the medicine that we need. And we, I mean, we start early, but some of us have teenagers. So I'm just going to say also what I know and what we've talked about is it's never too late. No. And that those those goals you're talking about are something that are lifelong. And yes. our, our brains are amazing in being able amazing. to adapt and yeah. shift and learn at all ages, even teenagers. Especially because their brains are kind of mush. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. I want to tell my kid who said that. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I will. <laughs> Uh, okay, my last question. So another thing that I know about you is that you're a Buddhist. You were trained, some of your training was at Naropa yes. in Boulder, and now you teach at Naropa. So I wonder how, if you can help us understand how your sense of spirituality and your spiritual practice connect to, maybe you just answered it with the awe, exactly. but connect to some of these questions. That's right, yeah. Well, I mean, in every way, it connects to this question. So you know, Buddhism has allowed me the opportunity to move away from a, a, a view of human nature that suggests that human beings are bad into one where, and I need to believe that, right? So for me, that's a fundamental belief around humans that they're actually fundamentally good. And I think once I got that and once I had experiences of myself as fundamentally good, I was in awe. I was always in I. Oh, when that happens, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. And all of us have had those moments where we look around and we just feel so deeply connected to everything and everyone. Those moments are exactly the reason why I stayed a Buddhist, because I actually really don't like to meditate. But I (laughs) do it. Okay. (laughs) I'm not shocked about that about you, actually. That that tracks. But, you know, the other thing that's really important, I think, about the the spiritual connection for me, Buddhism, and the concept of belonging. I mean, from a Buddhist point of view, we always belong because we are interconnected, right? And there are three gems. There are three kind of fundamental cornerstones of this in Buddhism, which are the Buddha, meaning the teacher, right? The the Dharma, the teaching, and the Sangha, the community. So the teacher, all of us, each one of us as teachers, the Dharma, the teachings, what we believe, and the Sangha, the community. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Sarah.
Wow, I, I am, there's so many parts of that conversation that are still sticking with me and uh, you know, I'm gonna really unpack that. And so I'm just really grateful for Dr. Farinas for coming and speaking to us. And also I'm very curious what you all heard of it. Now we're doing a little bit of a survey right now of our community because we want to know who you are. It's been amazing so far. We've heard from folks from California to Canada and beyond that are saying, hey, I listen to the podcast regularly and we'd love to hear from you. So if you are a listener for our podcast, if you go to foothillsuu.org slash podcast survey, we would love, love, love to know who you are, what this means for you, and then tell us what you might do to make this podcast better, how it could hit you in your life in a more uh, deep way, speak to your realities, whatever it is. So we'd love to hear from you. If you go to foothillsuu.org slash podcast survey, that'd be amazing. We'd love to really keep improving this community. And we know hundreds of you are listening every time, and we'd love to just continue that. So thanks so much for listening. uh, And until next time.